Welcome to iPad Pros, the show all about using your iPad to be productive and get work done. I'm Tim Chen, host of the show. They knew what writers needed, and they wanted to give them all their tools, but they wanted it to be graceful. And Eon Timeline manages to do it basically by breaking everything down into three categories. It's either what they call an event, which is something that happens at a certain time, or they call it something like an asset. And that can be any specific thing that isn't time-based that you want, a character, a location, a character arc. And then the third thing is the area where those two things intersect and either looks like a timeline or it looks like a spreadsheet with like dots where two or more of these things intersect. Welcome back to iPad Pros. Before we dive into the second part of my interview with Roger Schulman, I want to spend just a few minutes sharing my thoughts on the new iPad Air 3rd generation and the iPad Mini 5th generation that Apple announced earlier this week. So first up, let's dive into the new iPad Air. This is the 3rd generation iPad Air, and its tagline by Apple is power isn't just for the pros. So what is the 3rd generation iPad Air? What is this product? Well, it now has a 10.5-inch screen, just like the old iPad Pro that was available prior to this announcement. It comes at a $150 less price point than prior. So for $499, you can get yourself a iPad Air third generation. What do you lose for that $150 that you're saving? Well, the two big things you're losing are ProMotion support and two speakers instead of four. But... You do get a better processor instead of the A10X Fusion. You get an A12 Bionic with Neural Engine. The current pros have an A12X Bionic. So a bit more power to it, but nothing that will impact you in a major way. This iPad does have Apple Pencil support, first generation, and True Tone support. But as I mentioned, no ProMotion. It also has the standard smart connector, letting you use the 10.5-inch smart keyboard originally released for that iPad Pro. And the charging stand from Logitech that I'm such a huge fan of will work with this iPad. The camera is a bit of a downgrade. Rather than the 12-megapixel back camera, you get an 8-megapixel camera. The new iPad comes with Bluetooth 5 rather than 4.2, which will have some applications going forward. It's available in 64 gigabytes or 256 gigabyte configurations. To get that storage upgrade, that'll cost you $150, bringing you up to the cost of the old Pro. Color-wise, they do offer it in gold, which is the same gold found on the aluminum Series 3 or Series 4 Apple Watch, which is a bit pinker than the previous iPad Pros in gold. Overall, I'm really impressed with this product offering and an iPad that I would recommend for most people. It has the right balance of features for price and believe most people could get their work done on this model. The 10.5-inch iPad Pro is a great machine, and this will be no different. The biggest loss for me is ProMotion, but if you've never had ProMotion, you won't know what you're missing. I really do think ProMotion is a great feature, especially for pencil support, it makes the pencil integration feel that much better. But overall, it is a small thing to lose for the money you don't have to spend on that upgrade. You also have the advantage of this being the same form factor as the old 10.5-inch iPad Pro, 
which lets you get accessories cheaper via eBay because it's not such a new product. The naming is a curious thing. The Air name to Apple now really means this is the standard model most people should get. That's what's become known as in the MacBook lineup with the MacBook Air, and that's now true in the iPad lineup where Air to Apple means this is kind of the model that is right for the most people out there. So iPad Air, third generation, really killer offering at $500. Let's now dive into the iPad mini fifth generation. So the iPad mini has not seen an update since 2015. The iPad mini four included an A8 processor. Well, that has changed now, and there is now a fifth generation mini with Apple Pencil first generation support, True Tone support, and an A12 Bionic chip with Neural Engine. This Mini also has Bluetooth 5, which is an upgrade from 4.2 found in the last Mini. There is no smart connector, sadly, but this is still a big upgrade. It's got a modern processor, True Tone support, and Apple Pencil support. The Mini still isn't a budget product for Apple, and it retains its price point at $399 for 64GB or $549 for 256GB. The Mini really is an interesting product. It can be your little digital notebook now that it has Apple Pencil support. I see that being a really compelling use case. And it'll be a really great little ebook reader thanks to True Tone support, which is something that I really want on every screen. And it's great that it's there. If there ever was a good sale for the new Mini, I'd consider getting one for these use cases. Form factor-wise, the 10.5-inch with smart keyboard seems to be the better travel device if you need a keyboard. So you won't need to travel along with a separate Bluetooth keyboard or something really small that might be not as comfortable to type with. If you don't need a keyboard when traveling, the Mini would be a really solid option, especially with cellular. Overall, it's really awesome to see the iPad lineup fill out. You can now get a base configuration iPad at a wide price range, $329, $399, $499, $799, and $999. And as I mentioned earlier, the Air naming is just Apple's way of saying $499 is the kind of model that I believe Apple believes most people would find the best balance of price versus features. A final note is that I believe most people could get their work done on the new iPad Air third generation. It is a great iPad that has most of the features you will really want to have it be your primary computer. If the screen size is big enough, and I think for most people it would be, I think the features are there and it doesn't have all the little niceties like ProMotion, but for most people that are looking to get an iPad at a reasonable price point of $499, this is a great option. So I would recommend this to many people looking to get into the iPad to get work done. Another final, final note that I just saw after recording is that both the new Mini and Air support the Logitech Cran, which is a really nice addition for these iPads. The Cran not working with the new iPad Pros, the third generation, seemed really odd to me, and its inclusion here is great and making the value proposition even more compelling for these new iPads. So just another thing to note in considering where's the value in this new iPad. I really do think this iPad Air is the iPad most people should be looking at and considering to get. 
With that, let's dive into the second part of my interview with Oscar-nominated writer and writing coach Roger Shulman. Roger, as I mentioned at the last episode, was nominated for an Oscar for his work on the hit animated comedy Shrek. He's also written a number of sequels for Disney, including The Fox and the Hound 2 and Mulan 2. And he co-created, wrote, and produced the sitcom Jonas. Roger, I mentioned, is a writing coach. You can find more info about that over at thewritercoach.com. In this part of the interview, we dive into some of his favorite apps, including a few apps I didn't know much about before speaking with him. As a reminder, you can support the podcast at patreon.com slash iPadPros or by leaving a review in the Apple Podcast app. If you haven't done either, please consider helping out in either or both ways. I would really, really appreciate it. Without further ado, here's the conclusion to my interview with Roger Shulman. Enjoy. I want to dive into some of the apps that you point out to me in our email correspondence that you use. Some of these I had never heard of that as I was looking through the app store reviews for just, I couldn't believe I hadn't heard of them. The first one I want to talk about is Eon Timeline. What is this and how do you use it? Eon Timeline is a fascinating app that is unique, I believe, in that it takes a timeline approach to creativity. Generally, timeline software just allows you to create, you know, like an attractive list of events. Mm Mm-hmm. You've seen that stuff. You know? yeah. if, you, if you need to make a timeline, you get a timeline program and you make your timeline. That's not what this is about. This is a creative tool. It can do that, but it's primarily for writers. It lets you create a map of the inner world of your project. So if you're writing a novel or a series of novels, you can chart all the events in them, all the characters, all the plot arcs, all of the relationships between the characters And then you can look at it as you would a timeline, which is to say chronologically, or you can use this other view, which is called a relationship map, which is more like a spreadsheet. And you can see the intersection of your characters and your events and your arcs. And there'll be little dots where these things overlap. If you want to keep track of things like, well, how many scenes is that character in and how come I haven't seen him for a while? Or... You know, if this guy wants thing A and this woman wants thing B, they should really do that a lot earlier in the story because I can see looking at this thing, we don't even get to that until midway. So it gives you a new view into your work. It's really great for complicated projects. Like I'm working on a screenplay right now about a very big scientific discovery. It's based on a true story. So it's an Mm -hmm. actual scientific discovery. So it's important to get all the details right. How many scientists were involved? When did they work together? When did they not work together? When did the government get involved and who there? It would be hard to keep track of all of it. Just working with something like Final Draft, you couldn't do it. Evernote, you could get it all down, but you couldn't structure it. Eon Timeline is very nice for a job like that. It has a very beautiful Mac OS version. And it has a very, you know, pared down but graceful iOS version, makes very good use of touch. It's very pretty. And it gives you like what I might call the 10,000 foot view of what you're doing. I can imagine like them doing Game of Thrones and relying on something like this. Yeah. You have to say like, well, wait a minute. What happened all the way back then to the dragon? And be great for like putting together the Bible for a TV series or something like that. Now, that sounds super complicated, but the interface, how do they do this in a way that's not confusing to most people? There's a little bit of a learning curve, but they really thought about it. In the same way that Scrivener's people did, they knew what writers needed, and they wanted to give them all their tools, but they wanted it to be graceful. 
And Eon Timeline manages to do it basically by breaking everything down into three categories. It's either what they call an event, which is something that happens at a certain time, naturally, mm-hmm. or they call it something like an, I don't remember what technical term they use. They use something like asset. It's a word like that. And that can be any specific thing that isn't time-based that you want, a character, a location, a character arc. And then the third thing is the area where those two things intersect. And that's the main part of the program. And it either looks like a timeline or it looks like, like I said earlier, it looks like a spreadsheet with like dots where two or more of these things intersect. So while you can tap on something or click on something and get a pop-up menu that lets you put in all kinds of detail, once those pop-ups are closed, you have a pretty lovely looking chart that packs a lot of sort of pattern information into it. If you feel it's something you need, you sit down with it, you focus on it for like an hour, and then you're in the deep end of the pool and you're fine. It's not Photoshop. It doesn't go on forever. You know, it's a new kind of way of thinking and a new kind of software that you get to know in a relatively short amount of time. And then you either like it or you don't. And a, a feature they added to it a couple of years ago, which is really smart of them, is it integrates with Scrivener. Oh, very handy. Yeah. So if you've done all your work in timeline and you say, OK, I've got a lot of detail in here now. I don't want to have to be flipping back and forth all the time. You can actually import it into Scrivener, which takes it in and converts it into an outline. And then you've got all of that extra information inside the same file. And they're always trying to improve it. It's not expensive. My hats are off to people like that who they really, you can tell they put their heart into this thing. It's a real jewel. Yeah. One of the cool features I saw on the description was any event on the timeline, you can kind of look up how old that character would be at that moment, which is, I mean, it makes sense for that to be there, but it's just kind of a cool thing. Sure. That's the kind of thing it's best at. You know, you put together a character, you can put in when he was born and when he dies. And from then on, you never have to ask yourself, wait a minute, is he just a kid at this point or is he already past the age of 18? It just tells you. That's why it's best for like sweeping things. You know, you can change the timeline to any unit you want. It can be a story that takes place in eight seconds and it'll do it. But I think more often than not, it's going to be for a story that takes place over years, decades, centuries, or something that doesn't necessarily rely on time so much, but is complex. Mm -hmm. Some kind of historical novel where there's a lot of detail or some kind of Dickensian thing where you've got 25 characters. One of the timelines they include as an example is Murder on the Orient Express. It's a perfect example of what it's good at because it has a beginning, a middle, and an end, a certain number of days, a bunch of characters, and where they are and what they're doing at certain times is critical. So if you were Agatha Christie today and you were writing a mystery like that, it would be a good tool. Yeah. Now, when you use it, are you writing more of a summary of that event or the different thing in there? Or are you doing a full out write and this will actually be your starting point before going in the Scrivener? I use it as an auxiliary engine. Okay. I don't use it most of the time. Mm -hmm. When I use it, it's because I'm writing something where, A, small differences are critical. So like if I'm writing something that's based on fact, I don't want to get something wrong if I can help it. Number two, if it's a larger story, so to speak, as opposed to what I might call an intimate story. I'm writing a book right now 
based on my parents' love letters during World War II. They wrote each other around 1,500 letters. And my father brought them back with him when he came home from terrible experiences. And because he brought them back, there is intact a complete set of their communication over the years of the war, which is surprisingly rare. Most of the time, you're in the middle of battle, you get a letter, you read it, and then at some point, you've got to get rid of it. Mm -hmm. You can't just keep them all. But he did, and he brought them back overseas, and they're all in one place. So I'm writing the story of how my mother kind of kept him alive by sending him love through these letters, and how he kept himself alive by telling her what was going on to the extent that he was allowed to through these letters. That's a perfect example of where I can use and have used Eon Timeline. There are 1,500 letters. I want some kind of summary of what's in each of them, when they were written, which ones overlapped with what, which letter answered which one. I didn't do any prose writing in Eon Timeline. That's not what it's for. But it gives me this fantastic backbone. And when I start writing about what's going on in the lives of my mother and father during a certain portion of the war, I can zip right over to the timeline and say, OK, I can look at this letter and that letter and read it right now. I can see where I was wrong into mentioning this event because it happened after that letter was written. So there's no way mom could have known about that and so on. Right. That's a great example of where it really helps. Because you're probably also inputting things that are just historical context of this battle happened at this time, even if it's not mentioned in the letter directly or something's happening in the, the States at that time. Yeah, you can stack timelines. That's one of the most powerful things about doing a timeline. You've got what's going on with my dad in one timeline, what's going on with my mom, what's going on with Winston Churchill, what's going on on the home front, you know? Yeah. And then you can say, you know, oh, holy cow, this is when Churchill made that speech about the beach. <laughs> that was the same day that my father wrote that letter. I wonder if he mentions it. It's fascinating. Yeah, definitely need to try that out. I just want a project to use it with. <laughs> <laughs> it's always the problem with, with great software. It's like, do I have a, uh, a project I can use that with? Yeah. Omni Outliner is mentioned in your list. Uh, do you have special templates you use with this? I use Omni Outliner less nowadays. When I use it, it's because I love outlines and I have the need to create a really solid outline. Sometimes I can write something that's just a treatment and go directly to a draft or the outline that I write doesn't need to be that complicated or I've kind of been writing scenes here and there as I've thought of them and now I'm starting to assemble them and I need to fill in the gaps but don't really need to outline it from beginning to end anymore. But if I have that need, that thirst for an outline, then I really need to use outline software. Mm -hmm. So that's what I use it for. In terms of the templates, I created my own Omni Outliner template for writing features. And if I'm going to do a really detailed movie outline, I'll use that. Okay. If not that, then I generally, I kind of pick almost at random an outline template to use because they have such interesting ones mm -hmm. like this thing called solarized Are you familiar with that i think so it's been a bit since i've used the software they are outlines that are done in various odd colors that are supposed to be sort of stimulating yet relaxing to the hmm. eye 
Yeah. It's weird when you first see it. It's right. like different shades of yellow and pink. You'd never pick that no, for yourself. Never. Supposedly, according to some science somewhere, this is a very productive set of colors. Hmm. So I'll try stuff like that. Yeah. I still have some problem with Omni Outliner in terms of its ease of use. And I've been using it for quite some time. I just think it's not as intuitive as it could be. And at the same time, I've been leaning more and more towards using mind mapping software for the jobs that I used to use outlining software for. Yeah. With mind mapping, how do you come upon Simple Mind? I've actually never heard of that one. MindNode is the one that I tend to gravitate towards. Yeah. MindNode is one of those big favorites. Well-reviewed, very pretty, easy to use, and it's great. In fact, there are a surprising number of mind mapping softwares. Considering that it's kind of an esoteric concept, yeah. most people I talk to don't know about mind maps. There's got to be like 20 really good ones. <laughs> yeah, and iPad is the best platform I've seen for it with touch oh, and fantastic. all that. Oh, it's fantastic. Yeah, and that's one of the reasons that I'm getting more and more into it. I've even taught classes with a mind map up on the screen rather than just huh. notes. Yeah, interesting. Because you can kind of let the mind map grow as you reveal new concepts. I think people like that. It's dynamic. So MindNode, like I said, that was sort of like the go-to choice. But I like a really strong interface between mind mapping and outlining. I mean, obviously, I just talked about it. SimpleMind has a relatively robust outliner built in. So you can look at the mind map and look at the outline version of the same data at the same time. You can export and import in OPML, which is the, you know, the underpinning of most outlining languages. Yep. I just felt overall it was more powerful than MindNode, although it took a little bit more to learn it. I don't know about MindNode, but it has a very good Mac OS version and a very good iPad version, and they're 100% compatible. Yeah. The mind maps work the same way. They look the same. They're even at the same Zoom level when you open them up on different platforms. And then there's that sort of other factor, which I can't always put my finger on for you, but you look at the website and you read what they write, and you get the feeling that there's just somebody behind it who cares. Mm-hmm. Like it's a small company and they're working hard to make it better. And if you write them, they get right back to you. And I like that about it also. But it's by no means my only mind map pick. It's worked very well for me. My note is really good, too. Yeah. I found it just by, you know, by wasting time. You know, how else do you find these <laughs> right, things? Yeah. You avoid getting work done and look up 40 different mind mapping. Patterns. Absolutely. I need a new tool. <laughs> <laughs> so Omni, Omni Group also makes OmniGraffle. Is that a tool you've used with different like custom stencils for different projects or how do you actually use that? I'd love to get to know OmniGraffle better because I, I love uh, graphic design, but I've really only used it for a couple of projects and the built-in templates and stencils are way more than enough for me. I created my own day planner because I couldn't find one that did all the things I wanted it to do. And as an exercise, I thought it would really be fun to create my own page designs. So I created it. I thought in the back of my mind, hey, you know, if this works for me, maybe one day I can sell it or something. And I used OmniGraffle for that. I think it's actually better on the iPad than it is on the Mac, maybe. Yeah. Does that day planner, do you send a digital copy to GoodNotes or is that something you're printing out on paper and that is something physical that you interact with on a day-to-day basis? I 
printed it out on paper until I found out about GoodNotes. Ah. <laughs> and then when I was looking for places online to maybe sell a digital version or maybe even give it away on my website, mm -hmm. I came across all of these templates that people have specifically designed for GoodNotes. Huh. It's a mini market. It's yeah. a subgenre. Most of them look like digital versions of those scrapbooks. Mm -hmm. that people love nowadays, where you can have a digital sticker that says, you go girl, and put it on Monday. Yeah. That kind of stuff, you know, all that fun, ribbony, poodly, motivational stuff. It's the complete opposite of what I designed, but people are selling them. I think it's fascinating. I don't know if it's just good notes or any digital notebook, but the ones I saw were all for good notes. You know, a piece of software is good when it spawns its own, like, accessory market. Oh, know? absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> Drag and drop was added, uh, not you know, not terribly long ago. You use Gladys to store uh, different things. Uh, how do you, in general, use drag and drop on your iPad, and what goes into Gladys? I use drag and drop whenever I can. It's that same satisfying feeling that I get whenever I'm scrolling on the iPad by using my finger. I just love touching it. If I can drag something on a split screen from one app to another, it just feels to me like I'm more positive it's happening than if I were to do it with a command or something. Yeah. I know that in the old days, commands were much more efficient. Using a mouse is not as efficient as a keyboard shortcut. But there are a lot of times I like to use a mouse. It just makes me feel like I'm doing heavy lifting. I don't know. I guess I'm just spatially oriented. So I use drag and drop whenever I can. This is one of the problems with iOS right now. I never know when drag and drop is going to work. Right. So, yeah, it's inconsistent as to if developers implement it or not. Yeah. I think the only way to find out is by trying it. Yeah. So in a way, I guess it's kind of thrilling because I start dragging an icon with my finger and I cross the split screen line and I get to the other side. Will it fade away? <laughs> <laughs> Or will it plant its flag in the new app? Yeah, one of the uh, baffling ones for me is the Audible iPad app is not a split-screen app, which is like you don't need a huge audio player up all the time. <laughs> so that's when I use drag-and-drop. You know, I don't know when I use it. I use it all the time, and then I find out whether it's worked or not. But that's one of the things I like about Gladys, because apparently you can drag and drop anything into Gladys. It's just, uh, it's really smart mm -hmm. and very promiscuous, you know, yeah. <laughs> it'll take all commerce. And I use it for a very specific thing. One of the biggest shortcomings for me in Scrivener and iOS is a, the lack of a feature that they call snapshots. On the macOS platform, and I'm sure on Windows, at any moment, you can click a button and grab a Scrivening for archival or backup purposes. Mm -hmm. It's like a fantastic kind of insurance. You can even compare a new version to an old right there in the window and roll back to any version you have immediately just by telling it to do that. And for a writer who goes through one draft after another, not just from script to script, but within scenes, it's a fantastic amount of granular control. And iOS just doesn't have it. Yeah. In Scrivener. There are two things I wish iOS could do for me with Scrivener or Scrivener could do for me in iOS. And one is the snapshots or probably versioning is what it is. And the other is keywords where you can there's a little, you know, it's like tagging. The desktop versions have this sophisticated tagging ability that iOS just doesn't have. So I've pressed Gladys into use for that. 
I highlight what I want to save, and then I drag it into Gladys, and then I label it with the name of the script and maybe a note about what's different about it or what I'm about to change. And that's it. It's kind of a jerry-rig. It's a real kludge, but it gives me 80% of the feature of versioning without my having to somehow build my own program or wait for Scrivener to get around to adding that feature, if even they can do that. Yeah. And does Gladys have folders where you're able to organize that a bit? or? Yeah, they would probably call it more modern than that, because folders are, you know, so 2014. Yes. Gladys just uses notes and tags. Okay. And then you can just touch a little icon and pick one or more of the tags you want to look at, like in Evernote or probably OmniFocus, and then it'll just show you a subset of the things you've got stored. So when I'm working, you know, if I'm working on a script called Black and White, then I'll just touch the icon in Gladys and say, I just want to see the black and white snapshots, and it'll give me 18 of those, and I can see a little preview of them, and if I want to use one, I can drag it out into Scrivener, and it won't be completely perfectly formatted, But it'll be, like I said, 80% of the way there. It's frustrating. I wish it were built into the program, but it's awfully nice to be able to have a workaround like that. Yeah. Now, there's two other apps on your list that I had never heard of before. The first is Scrawl. Yeah. And what is this one? I was looking for something as simple as possible. Kind of like, what's the modern version of sticky notes? Yeah. I don't want it to organize. I don't want it to categorize. I don't want to import into it or export from it. I just need a piece of paper to write something down on, but I don't have one because I'm going to be throwing this away in five seconds. Gotcha. And so I started looking around. There's this program called Scrawl, which doesn't do anything, almost. Basically, it just opens a window where you can type. This is what it says in the manual. Type text into it. If you don't want that text anymore, delete it. That's basically the whole app. I don't know what more you want from me. (laughs) There's only one scroll at a time. You can't have multiple scrolls. No, it's just a window that you can type into. That's great. It opens in a nanosecond and the cursor is red. So you know you're in scroll. And it's just for that place where you don't want to even think about whether it's storing it or where it lives or what it is. They could have called it scrap or garbage. That's why they call it scroll. And it's free. And it does exactly what it's supposed to do. Almost nothing. Yeah, that's great. That's what scroll is. What was the other one? Wordboard. This is a Third-party keyboard. I use Grammarly as my only third-party keyboard, and this one looks rather cool. I've been trying to get a text expander for iOS to work for me for ages. Yeah, me too. I haven't made the connection with that app for whatever reason. I used text expander forever on my Mac. It so happens it got replaced by LaunchBar because a relatively recent version of LaunchBar incorporated snippets. So I no longer needed a separate app to do that. It remembers snippets of text. Mm -hmm. But there is no launch bar for the iPad, of course. It doesn't work that way. And I've tried Text Expander for iOS, and I just, I don't get it. I think it's maybe a limitation of the operating system, but it has to be a keyboard, and there's a subscription, 
And it's just not intuitive to me. Yeah. But I still really, really want a way to store snippets of text for reuse. And WordBoard is what I found that comes the closest to what I want. It's a board that temporarily replaces your virtual keyboard with a bunch of snippets that can contain anything you want and you can label any way you want. You can label it with what's in it or you can give it its own name or you can change the color of it or an icon. The good thing about it is that when you use an external keyboard with your iPad, you can continue typing on your external keyboard while looking at the word board on screen and use both. What I can't stand about alternate keyboards in iOS is that you can only see one at a time, Right. you know? And if you're looking at something like word board, it's perfect for putting that snippet of text in, but then you've got to switch back so you can keep writing. Yeah. I don't have to do that in this case. I've got the keyboard. I've got the iPad. Half the iPad is the word board and the top half is what I'm working on. And this, by the way, is not for my creative work. Almost any software I use for my screenwriting or my prose writing will have some kind of built in memory for character names and things like that. This is for business letters and financial communication and household chores, Mm -hmm. because How many times you need to put in your cell phone number or your email address or boilerplate paragraph that says, thanks for your email. I will get back to you as soon as I can. Right. That's what you have on your word board. It's the difference between taking three minutes to write an email or 35 seconds, which really adds up. And is it just a single board or are you able to scroll between different boards for different purposes? That's a great question. I have no idea because the one board can hold so many snippets that I haven't gotten past that. Mm, Okay. I could see how some key master might be able to just use dozens of different snippets depending upon what their work is, if they're a clerical worker or coder or something. Yeah. But basically, if I have boilerplate paragraphs, my contact information, a few phrases I like to use, you know, you're talking about 20 or 30 snippets and one board can hold that easily, especially if you abbreviate the title. It doesn't have to be everything that's in it. Like, for example, thank you for your email is for me, T-Y-E. Mm-hmm. So it just takes up three characters with a little square around it. And I touch it and it says, thanks very much for your email. And there's plenty of room for that kind of stuff. Yeah, definitely. Now, one thing I just want to ask quickly, uh, Airmail, why Airmail versus the other clients out there? Well, you know, I read a lot of reviews. It's another good way to waste time. And in each category of software, I tend to find that a few star candidates emerge And Airmail got a lot of really great reviews. I tried that and a few others. And I think there are lots of really good email clients. So it's not like I'm saying Airmail is it. But there's a couple of things about it that I like personally. It has a lot of hooks to other apps. What I really want is kind of an old-fashioned customer relationship management software program. Are you familiar with CRM? Yes, we use one at my day job. Right. So... I really love, even though it's not the trend nowadays, I really love the total integration of calendar, tasks, contacts, and email. And I used to use programs like Daylight for the Mac, where you click on a person's name, you see all the emails that person has sent you, all of the meetings you've had with them, all of the notes you've taken about that person. I think it's very powerful, but that's not the trend. And also those powerful CRM packages tend to be very hefty subscriptions. 
because uh, they're for enterprise. Yeah. No one seems to be writing that kind of stuff anymore. I mean, if I really were, you know, a coder, I'd be working on some really slick, totally integrated, modern version of Outlook. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think Bento was a similar app that got discontinued. Yes. You just fired up a cell in my brain that hasn't been touched in years. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> I remember Bento. Yeah. In a way, it's almost like a database. What I like about Airmail is that it has a lot of hooks to other apps, and I, in a way, have my own integrated package by having it hooked to things, which is what I use for tasks, and Evernote. Between the three of those, it's almost like it's one you know, piece of software. Yeah. And the other thing is Airmail has a great snooze feature, which I really love. And I, in fact, I've been using a separate online service for called Follow Up Then. Mm-hmm. Basically, the idea, as you probably know, is... If this person doesn't respond to this email in X number of days, the email will pop up in my box again, reminding me that I haven't heard back. Yeah, super handy. Super handy. Exactly. The snooze feature in AirMail is a little undependable, which is almost the same as totally broken because... Yeah, if you can't trust it. If I can't rely on it 100% of the time, I almost don't want to go near it. Yep. So what I'm doing nowadays is kind of relying on both. Follow-up then is this fantastic service where if you want to use it for free, you just copy your email to follow-up then, and it sets up an account for you just automatically with no charge and no personal information. You put in how much time you want to go by before you get reminded in the address that you send it to, and it just sends you a copy of your email when the clock rings. And then if you want to pay for the premium service, you can do a zillion things with it. Yeah, that's a web service. It's follow up. Yeah, it's called follow up then. And you literally just have to put in your BCC field, for example, Mm -hmm. one week at followupthen.com. And you're in, you're already using it. And it's follow up them or what's the what's it end with? Then T H E N follow okay. up then. Gotcha. Yeah. Cool. And if you don't want to type that much, you just type F U T dot I O, which is their shortcut. And they know who what your email address is. They send it back to your inbox whenever you say. And when I say whenever you say, I mean ten days, three thirty PM at follow up then, and that's exactly when you get it. Wow. That's awesome. And all of that is free for as many email addresses as you've got. Yeah, because they really want you to like them. And then if you want to pay a little bit of money, you can do things like have attachments to your email be stored by them as well and have the attachment show up right before your meeting. So it's handy in your inbox, stuff like that. I just love when people are math whizzes and imaginative at the same time. You know, that's a cool service. I had not heard about that. Yeah. Well, is there anything we haven't covered yet that you'd like to touch on before we wrap it up? No, I don't think so. The only thing I'd like to say, if you don't mind, is that one of the things I enjoy doing the most is I offer a service as part of my coaching business where I will have what I call a discovery session with anybody who wants one for 45 minutes where we can do anything that person wants in terms of writing and coaching work on a specific thing, talk about how to become a better artist, just explore to see what can be done in that amount of time because it's often very surprising and it's free. So if they want to go to my website, I love hearing from people. Great. Thank you so much, Roger, for your time. And that's thewritercoach.com for your website? Yeah, thewritercoach.com. And if you want to write me, it's roger at thewritercoach.com. Great. Thank you so much, Roger. I really appreciate your time today. No, uh, it's my pleasure. Thanks for having me. 
Thanks for listening to this episode of iPad Pros. You can find the show notes over at iPadPros.net. You can send your feedback to me at iPadProsPodcast.gmail.com. If you email a voice memo, I'd be happy to include your audio in a future episode. I'm on Twitter at iPadProsPodcast. And as mentioned at the top of the show, if you haven't had a chance to review the show on Apple Podcasts, I highly encourage you to do so. Every review helps send signals to promote the podcast more in search and helps other people discover the show. Thank you for your time and attention today. Talk to everyone again real soon.